We are very grateful that you entrusted your Friday evening and your Saturday to us for this time. We believe it's going to be very fruitful. Um, we are committed to bringing to you the very best teachers and equippers in all of our conferences, both spring and fall. Unfortunately, this time around, we were not able to do that, and we have Andrew Rappaport instead. <laughs> Andrew comes to us from Occupied America, New Jersey. He spends a lot of his year traveling throughout the United States because he enjoys the freedom that the rest of us enjoy out here in free America. Andrew is the founder and executive director of Striving for Eternity Ministries. He specializes in biblical hermeneutics, which is Bible interpretation, and he is well known for his street preaching and evangelism training. Andrew is married to Yim Rappaport, and he lives, as I said, in New Jersey. He has two children, Shannon, 21, and Tim, 23. He is the author of What Do They Believe?, what do we believe, and soon to be published, What Did Jesus Believe? Now, that's, the, that's not the title that Andrew wants, but that's the title that somebody else wants for that. So please welcome Andrew Rappaport. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for having me. We're going to talk about what I call ambassador evangelism. Quick show of hands. How many of us are deathly afraid of sharing the gospel? Okay, so the rest of you go out regularly and share the gospel, right? So, um, here's the thing. Most of us have a fear in sharing the gospel. And what I want to do first, and we'll do today, uh, tonight, and what I'll do a little bit tomorrow morning, is to first cover some principles that we have at our ministry to help overcome some of that. And then tomorrow we're going to deal with uh, basically how to, you know, what's the message in the evangelism? How can we navigate some of those conversations where you avoid someone calling us judgmental? Anyone ever get called judgmental here? Okay, I, no, I don't mean by your wives. Um, I, I, am, I am glad that, you know, the folks who were able to make it out, I was, I'm glad to see that Josh made it. I know he was spending the day uh, with his wife whose birthday is today. Uh, he could teach his pastor some things who spent his day, his wife's birthday with me because he planned a conference during his wife's. Okay, so we're going to do a marriage seminar instead. Um, but uh, I've, I've been evangelizing basically as long as I've been a Christian. Uh, I am have been doing open air evangelism as far as I know I can, that I can date. Uh, back to 1993. Uh, somewhere around there is the earliest that I can date that I've been doing it. Um, and I am deathly afraid every time. Okay, it was mentioned that I do open air. My evangelism team, and I did not know this for an entire summer, that what they were doing is making me be the first one to get up and start doing the evangelism. And they were like this. They were counting how many times I would get on my box and get off the box, how many times I'd open the Bible and close the Bible, get back off my box, because I was just so nervous to actually start. And so it was their form of entertainment. <laughs> so I was glad that I was able to entertain them for the summer. Um, and, uh, but the thing is that we can be afraid in doing this. Now, we can sit and rationalize and realize that there really is no reason for us to be afraid. God is in control, that it's God who does the work anyway, and we can rationalize that, but guess what? We're still afraid sometimes, aren't we? There's a couple of things that cause us to be afraid, and I want to go through some of those before we get into our principles, because a lot of us are going to deal with fear, Okay? And there's different things that can cause us to have fear. And if there's someone that has absolutely no fear in evangelism, good, tonight, later on, fine, let's go out and take some tracks. I'll be happy to go with you. Because um, I like to go with people that have no fear so that I can just sit in the backgrounds and be afraid. Okay? The, the reality is, is that even if you do share the gospel every single day, and I've, I made that commitment many years ago. I, I haven't kept up with that recent, just with time schedule. But I made a commitment that years ago that I was going to share the gospel every day. That drove my wife nuts. 
11 o'clock at night, I'm going to like the convenience store because there's at least someone working there. And I'm going because there's someone I got to share the gospel with because I had this commitment. It became legalistic. And that's why I kind of got away from doing that. But the reality is, is that I had a commitment that I was going to share gospel every day with somebody. Do you know who the hardest person is for me to share the gospel with? What did you say? Relative? No, but my relatives, I can get into it. They get violent. Um, some of you have heard my testimony. But no, not my relatives. Huh? Another Christian. You mean a professing Christian. Yeah. Uh, no. Actually, the hardest person for me to share the gospel with is the first person that I share the gospel with that day. You know, second person gets easier. Third person, even easier. By the sixth or seventh person, I don't mind. I'm completely over it. It's that first person every single day. Should I recant him this track? Should I not? Just don't know. Um, I, I guess I should mention, uh, since I, I brought it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, for, for my background, I was, I was raised Jewish. Uh, I have been bar mitzvahed. Both, both my parents are Jewish. So when I say that um, it gets violent, uh, when my parents found out that I became a Christian, uh, they had, were sh- casket shopping. They were going to bury an empty casket. I was going to be dead to them. Okay? That's how serious they took it. Uh, I was uh, trying that day, and by the way, I waited two years before telling my parents that I was a Christian. Now you know why. Um, so when my mother found out and uh, I was sharing with her, she got very upset with me, and so she started slapping me. Um, so it was the first time ever being hit sharing the gospel. Uh, not to be outdone, uh, I was 46 years old, so I guess you're never too old to get hit by dad. Uh, I was sharing the gospel with my father, and um, he was a Golden Gloves boxer, so he still at 72 had a pretty good right hook. And so that was the only other time I've ever been hit sharing the gospel. People ask me all the time, have, you, have I ever been struck? And I always have to say, yeah, by mom and dad. Yikes. But I've never been, I've never been assaulted, struck, or anything else when I share the gospel. And some of it, I think, is because of the, the principles that I want to teach you this weekend. Okay? Um, I've never worried about it. I go out to New York City by myself. Well, I used to. My wife doesn't let me anymore. Um, it is getting more difficult sharing the gospel, especially if you can do it in public places like I do. Um, New York's a very interesting place. If you ever want to come to New York, I'll be happy to take you to Union Square, New York. We can share the gospel. We, we're taking a team. Actually, uh, I just I led a team at, at Living Waters Ambassador Academy this summer, and we're basically uh, me and another one of our speakers from our ministry, Anthony Silvestro. He and I are taking our teams to New York because like California wasn't crazy enough for them. We wanted to show them what crazy really looks like, and so we're saying, "Come to New York." And so uh, they're going to come uh, next week. We're going to take them to New York where we literally get guys in tutus dancing in front of us. That's kind of distracting, don't you think? you got to learn to deal with those things. As an open-air evangelist, and by the way, notice I make a distinction. I don't call it open-air preaching. I call it open-air evangelism. I I make that distinction. Street preaching, open-air preaching has negative connotations. It is something that what you end up finding is that people, well, some people think it's preaching. They think they're a pastor because they do it. Okay, um, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm not up there delivering messages, but it's about the gospel, and I can handle distractions. If you want to see, I, I don't have, I don't have this video, but you can go watch UConn professor goes ape. Um, you can see me dealing with a UConn professor, um, and it was pretty entertaining. Actually, I do have some, one clip in here of that. So one of the things that we see is that um, we have a fear of saying the wrong thing. Now, I get up and I tell people all the time, and we're going to have a Q&A session in a little while, so I will let you know that I can answer any question that you have about God in the Bible. Because I think I don't know is a perfectly good answer. So I usually do it. I love doing this in New York. I get up, I stand up on a box, I go, I can answer any question you have about God in the Bible. Someone throws a really hard question out, I go, I don't know. You said you can answer any question. I did. I said, I don't know. That's a good answer. But give me your email. I'll, get, I'll try to get an answer and get back to you. By the way, that's exactly how I learn all of the things that I've 
learned apologetically. Because someone asked me something and I didn't know and I admitted that I didn't know and I went and studied that one thing. You don't have to know everything, just one thing. So we have the fear we could say something wrong or not know things. Like, let me give you a little bit of my testimony. When I got saved, if you have a fear of saying the wrong thing, the guy Chuck who led me to Christ, uh, and I came to Christ, I, I didn't understand that Christians don't all have this experience. I came to Christ in three and a half hours from first hearing the gospel. I was raised Jewish, which meant I spent 10 years in Hebrew school being taught that Jesus Christ is Hitler's God. Does that shock you? That's how I was taught. We were lined up, all the kids. We had our Hebrew school teacher go, that's what Jesus would do to you. So I really didn't have a love for Jesus. By the way, if you want to evangelize to a Jewish person, it might not be so good to mention Jesus first thing, right? And, and I was glad that Chuck realized that that wasn't going over so well. I basically told Chuck, Chuck, it's great for you. I'm God's chosen people. I'm in like Flynn. Chuck said one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in evangelism, offensive and actually theologically incorrect. Chuck would have made a good open-air preacher. As I was walking away from Chuck, he screamed at the top of his lungs, Andrew, and my mother had died when I was nine. He said, Andrew, if your mother died, so you'd be right here right now, let's see this message, and you'd have turned away, your mother would have died in vain. Now, that's a pretty offensive thing to say to someone, isn't it? Not actually all that theologically correct either. But I turn, it, for some reason, God used that to turn me around and say, I'll listen if you can give me a logical reason to believe. He took something that would be dumb to say. I'd never encourage you to say something like that. But that's what God used to take me and turn me around. Now, if you don't think that God has a sense of humor, by the way, he takes a kid who is, at that time, 16 years old, who is very proud of his intellect. I have 168 IQ. I've passed the test for Mensa. And what does he do? God puts a guy into my life who never even passed the sixth grade to teach me the, the most profound thing I would ever learn. Right? God has a sense of humor. And so there are times we might think we might say something wrong. We have to remember that the person we're talking to doesn't know the things we're trying to share with them because they're not believers. You may share it wrong. That's okay. God can use that. I can tell you one thing for sure. God will not use your silence. But he may use you saying something dumb. I'm very good at doing dumb things. You're going to learn that over the weekend. Um, I'm an expert at it. So, and, and by the way, I'll just give a, a footnote for this. this. These Someone else put these slides together. So this next one is, is not because of, um, of mine, me putting it there. But these are two resources that I, I've written that help you. Why? So you can learn what others believe and what we believe. Because the number one problem that we have in evangelism is the number one problem is Christians that don't know what we believe. They don't know our own doctrine. Uh, but when you get to dealing with world religions, the issue is, is that when we're dealing with other religions, you need to know what they accurately believe. How many of you have been told that Christians believe in three gods? Anyone? Yeah, like every Muslim I've ever spoken to has told me that. That's not what we believe. What do I immediately do to them when they do that? Anything else they say, I discredit, right? Because <laughs> I know they're inaccurate in that. I don't want to do that. So what I try to do is I try to know what they actually believe. Um, by the way, when I wrote that book, I've given it to, to imams, to rabbis, uh, to people of those religions said, am I wrong? Okay, the Mormons didn't exactly like that I mentioned about the planet Kolob. They said they, they saved that for people that are more experienced in there. Yeah, but do you believe it? All right, so what if I, you know, people have a fear I'm not going to know the right answers. I don't know is a perfectly good answer. Remember that. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, what I'm going to teach you tomorrow morning is, a, is what most people like to do is to challenge us with really difficult things. And we get afraid of that. Tomorrow I'm going to give you a secret that if you learn the one secret, you're never going to have to worry about people challenging it anymore. I'm going to teach you how to ask questions. 
But what you end up seeing is that there are resources that we can go to find out answers. If you're asked a question you don't know, be honest with the person and say, I don't know. Can I get back to you? It's amazing. They don't want to give you their email because guess what? They really don't want the answer anyway. They think they're just going to stump you. You don't have to worry. But it is something where you can learn about that. I'm going to plug a friend of mine's website, and that's karm.org. Okay, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. A lot of theological things are out there. I don't agree with everything with Matt. I'll just put that right out there. Uh, folks who, who, if you go and do a search for Matt Slick, Andrew Ruppert, you can actually see us debate on a whole wide range of topics that we disagree on, but we are good friends. And so you can go to resources like there and get a ton of information. It's one of the largest apologetics websites. Um, but what if I have a fear of rejection? I mean, if I share the gospel, they may reject me. Now, this has more of an impact with family, doesn't it? I mean, when we don't want to be rejected by our family. It has a strong impact, but a little bit less when it comes to friends or coworkers, because we want those relationships. But you know what? You can evangelize strangers all day long. What's the rejection going to be? My first pastor, fortunately, I wasn't the one that was getting this advice, so I was just the one getting hurt by it. Uh, he was talking to someone that was afraid. We used to go door to door. And this one guy was saying, we're in the pastor's office, and he's saying, but you know, I'm just so afraid. If I go out with you guys and do this, like, I'm afraid of rejection. My pastor said to him, and now I was fearing a rejection as well. He's like, so you're telling me, let me get this straight, you're telling me you're afraid of being rejected by someone you don't know and will probably never meet again. And I went, ow. That's exactly right. I'm very much afraid of that. That's why evangelizing strangers is great. Like if they reject you, what's the big deal? Oh, look at that crazy. Okay. Right? But there are ways that we can go around and navigate conversations to avoid some of the rejection. We're going to go through some of that tomorrow. A good, a good resource for it is Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. It's a great book to help you navigate conversations. Um, I, we didn't bring any out with us. I usually resell this book whenever I do a seminar because this book will teach you how to ask questions better than any that I know. Now, some of us fear harm. Well, if you fear harm, then, you know, start taking jiu-jitsu classes and you'll lose that fear. No. Um, I do martial arts. Please don't hold it against me if you think that's wrong. It's, sometimes it could be. I'm not necessarily a violent person. But, you know, it did give me the advantage that I can tell where, real, where someone's really threatening and someone isn't. Most of the time, people are just talking. Had a guy in New York City. Uh, he didn't, he looked like he was just all talk. But I'm on a box, and he's, he kept talking about beating me up if I didn't stop talking. Well, he decided to get in my face. Now, here's the thing. I'm on a box, and I'm looking eye to eye to him. And he was that big this way, too. I was a little bit nervous, because <laughs> he'd been talking about beating me up. <laughs> and so he gets in my face and says, if you don't stop, I'm going to punch you. Now, there are tactical ways to maneuver conversations like that. This is how I handled it. I said, sir, I got a question for you. Before I do, I, I just want to get some things established first. I mean, clearly, you're in the gym like three hours a day. I mean, you're all like all buff and stuff. And look at me. Okay, I was thinner back then, you know. I said, dude, you're like in your 20s, and I'm like in my 40s. I mean, I'm twice your age. I said, I'm like this old, decrepit old man. You're in the gym all the time. I said, now, are these your buddies over here? And he looked and said, yeah. I said, okay, don't you think if you beat me up, you look pretty pathetic in their eyes? And he turned and looked at them, and I was like, I got him. And when he turned back, I said, okay, here's my question. I leaned in, what if you can't? He suddenly realized, I'm in a no-win situation here. If I beat him up, this old scrawny guy, I look pathetic. And if I can't do it, and he doesn't seem like he's afraid of me, I look worse. 
I remember talking with, uh, if any of you guys know who Ray Comfort is? Many, many years ago, Ray, Ray and I were talking, and Ray was like, you know, someone asked Ray, do you, do you ever get afraid of being harmed, like someone beating you up? Back then, he used to go out every week with a friend of ours, Chad Williams. He's a Navy SEAL. And, and Ray says, I, I never get afraid. See, if, if I have trouble, I just go, hey, Chad. Navy SEAL comes in. I said, you know, that really, that works well. But the reality is, is that getting beat up by a Navy SEAL is like a badge of honor. I got beat up by a Navy SEAL. I said, when I get in trouble, I go, hey, Melissa. And when a five foot two, 110 pound girl who's a fifth degree black belt in jitsu beats you up, there's no bragging rights. <laughs> you know, but the reality is, is you will not be harmed if you learn how to navigate conversations. If you make the, the conversation where there's not the battle, there's not the fight. And, and that's what I want to try to teach you. Now, we all realize that, well, the world has a different view of us than we have right? They love to project that all Christians are like Westboro Baptist, and we're not. And so I want to give you the three principles that I'm going to teach you over this weekend, okay? These are the principles that we have in Ambassador Evangelism. First off, I want to teach you to disarm their defenses. They get defensive, you get in an argument, and no one enjoys it. And that's the main reason why most people fear that conversation that they're going to have, because we're going to share the gospel. We know we're the ones starting that conversation, and so we're going to be the ones receiving that argument, and we just don't like arguments. I mean, there are some people who enjoy conflict. I don't understand you. Most of us like to avoid conflict. So what do we do? We take small things, we ignore them until they become really big things, and we have to deal with it, right? I'm not alone in that? Okay. Um, but the reality is that we don't like having those kind of discussions. So what do we do? There's two simple things that I want to teach you how to disarm their defenses. It's by using humor and being polite. Sounds simple. That's what I'm going to go over tonight. Tomorrow morning, I hope to teach you how to disarm our own defenses. Because guess what? We can get defensive. Can we? No, don't get defensive with me. Um, we can get defensive. And the way to avoid us being defensive is by asking good questions. There is power in asking questions. And that becomes the key in how to navigate the conversations. The third principle is to avoid being called judgmental by using the law. The law of God is a tool that we can have so we're not calling someone a sinner. We're not telling them that they're breaking God's law. We're just holding God's law up as a mirror and asking them how they compare. So what we want to be able to do is to navigate through conversations. Okay? And the way to do that is going to be, like I said, twofold. It is going to be by using humor and being polite. Why should we worry about that? Well, because a defensive person is not open to discussion. They're not seeking to understand what you're saying. They're usually seeking to shut you down. Have you been in those conversations where someone is only waiting for you to take a breath so they could tell you how wrong you are? And you know that's happening, right? You, I mean, when they're doing that, you can tell. They're really not listening to me. I, I know because sometimes I say really crazy things when I see them acting like that, and I just go, blue pigs fly over the moon. And, they, and then I pause, and they start yelling at me. I'm like... Yeah, you didn't listen to a thing I said. Because you should have been like, what did you say? Well, what? No one enjoys those conversations. But the reality is, is that the humor is a great way to disarm that. Now, I have an advantage that many of you don't. I understand that. I make fun of myself. I have a lot of material. I do dumb things. Walked into a Sears. By the way, this is why my wife does not let me go out like shopping for anything quick. All she needed was a vacuum bag so she could finish vacuuming before company came that night. It seemed like a simple task. Not for me. 
Walking past the jewelry counter, I, I got the, the vacuum bags pretty quick, actually. It was, I was pretty impressed with myself. But I had to ask the guy about something with a dehumidifier, and he was talking to someone for 40 minutes. So by the time I finally got to ask him my question, he goes, yeah, we don't have that. Okay, thanks. So I'm walking out, and I carry gospel tracts with me, and I had back then a $0 bill. Some of you have seen the million-dollar bills. This was a $0 bill. I went to past the jewelry counter, and I slipped it on the counter to the guy, and I said, hey, put this in your wallet. It's a $0 bill. If you always keep it in your wallet and your friends ask if you have any money, you can honestly say, I have $0 in my wallet. I said, read the back. It has an important message back there. And I walked out of the store. Walked all the way out of the store. I popped the trunk on the car. I went to put the vacuum bags in the car and realized I never paid for them. See, they were sitting in my hand for so long that I realized I forgot to pay for them. I did what most of you do. I got in the car and no, no, actually I didn't. <laughs> I closed the trunk, I walked back in, and I literally had this. I walked in and I realized I had a dilemma. I could go over there to the cashier that I did not give the gospel track to and not pretend like I was walking in the store and nothing special just walked up and paid for or I can go back to the cashier at the jewelry counter and ask him I said well Lord clearly you had a reason for me to do this dumb thing so let's find out how this goes so I went to the counter and I said sir I walked all the way to my car and I forgot to pay for this and he went, excuse me, you did what? I said, well, I got to my car, I opened my trunk, and I realized it was in my hands for so long, I forgot to pay for it. Can I pay for this here? He says, well, yeah, she can help you with that because uh, she's got the cashier, the register open. Can I ask you a question? Are you, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I happen to be a Christian. He said, I, you know, I read the back of that thing you gave me, and, you know, you, it asked whether I was good enough to go to heaven. I said, yeah, would you like to talk about it? Sure. So meanwhile, the other lady comes over. She was Muslim. She rings up, you know, I pay for it. And now I'm sharing the gospel with this young gentleman and the Muslim woman. I have a rather large bag at the jewelry counter. I'm sitting there for a while sharing the gospel. Two managers come from behind. Is it, is it okay if I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? I got a big bag from the jewelry counter. I must have made a big sale. I sat there for 45 minutes sharing the gospel with these two people. Oh, and the managers that were standing behind me because they never left. <laughs> Great opportunity because I did something dumb. I do dumb things naturally. So I realize that you may not be able to make fun of yourself as well as I can. But here's the thing that I discovered with making fun of yourself. Our culture doesn't accept making fun of ourselves, right? Our culture talks about their own pride and their own greatness. And so when you are willing to make fun of yourself, what ends up happening is they look at that and go, man, you seem so humble. I've heard that a lot of times, and I'm like, who are you talking about? Clearly, you don't know me. <laughs> Why is it they, they always think I'm humble? Because I make fun of myself. The reality is if I make fun of myself, I never get in trouble. You make fun of someone else, you may get in trouble. They may not take a joke well. I'm going to show you a video uh, of, of someone that I'm glad it went well. But, but the reality is what you end up seeing is that when you make fun of others or try to be funny just for funny's sake, okay, it may not work. What you're, I'm talking about is not trying to be a comedian, but trying to lighten the conversation so that it's enjoyable, so that they're not sitting there and looking to argue with you, so that they want to listen to what you say. I was in Washington Square Park one day, and there was a guy who said, uh, he was walking past, I gave him a gospel tract, and I started a conversation with him, and he said he really had to go. He, he, he didn't have time to really talk, but I, I started talking with him. We used a little bit of humor to get the conversation where he wasn't so worried about the conversation. Forty-five minutes later, uh, his phone rang. He realized that his girlfriend was waiting the entire time that we were talking. He told her he was only going to the bathroom. He said, you know, I really have to go, but the thing is, I don't want to. I so enjoyed this conversation that I really don't want to. I said, well, why don't you go get your girlfriend and bring her back? His response was, you don't know my girlfriend, okay? 
I guess she really wouldn't have liked the conversation, but he didn't want that conversation in the beginning and was making excuses. And just a little bit of use of humor helped with that. Let me show you this in action. I want to give you a clip. Um, now, this was at the Super Bowl. Uh, what we do at the Super Bowl is we get like 100 people that go to a Super Bowl outreach. We go to the Super Bowl. NFL does this NFL experience. So they bring in lots of people for you to witness to. It's really nice. And so we got invited, I believe, if I remember correctly, this guy's name is Chris. Uh, but watch, you know, when they first came up, and we didn't catch this on video, they did not want to have a discussion. But I want you to see the reaction, see how they handle this discussion. So, so we're out here, we're asking this question. Do you consider yourself to be a good person? Yes. Yes. Okay. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Yes. Well, why'd you guys hesitate on that? <laughs> All right. We told white lies. E e only white lies? <laughs> How many lies have you told in your entire life? I don't lie to me. I don't know. <laughs> All right, what do you call a person that tells lies? Uh, sometimes smart or either dumb. You call him a liar? Yeah, that's usually what she she's going to call you when you lie, isn't it? <laughs> she usually doesn't say you're sometimes smart and sometimes dumb, does she? <laughs> nah. Now, they didn't seem like they minded that conversation very much, did they? The reality is, is that when you're using humor, I mean, see, if I'm looking to get into a debate and an argument, that's going to come off that way. You see, my demeanor is not looking to do that. I want to lighten that conversation. Because I want the only thing to be offensive is the gospel, not me. In all my conversations, what I want is to remove me from being the offense. And I do crazy things to do that. I'm willing to, to give money away so that I'm not an offense. I was in California once, and I told you I'm Melissa, my bodyguard. She was with me. We were having dinner with a group of people. And I, as sometimes I do, I've gotten away from this habit because, well, I, I've, I used to give out gospel tracts every, to everybody I meet in a restaurant, and sometimes it doesn't always go well. And this time it really didn't go well. So I went up to this guy who was sitting behind us, and I went and handed him a gospel tract. He's like, what's this? He was sitting alone. I, I said, it's, it's a gospel tract. It has the good news of Jesus Christ. And he threw it across the table. Now, I don't know his background, but something upset him. Me handing him a gospel tract really offended him. What am I going to do? I need to do something. So what I did was I very quickly, his, his meal was pretty much done, I really quickly asked for my waitress, and I said, listen, I need to know if you can get the bill from this guy sitting right behind me. I need his bill. She's like, what? Yeah, get his waiter. I, I need his bill. I want to pay his bill. She's like, okay. So I get his bill. I pay the bill. And I said, listen, just tell the waiter that there was a Christian in this restaurant that wanted to bless him. So I'm able to hear the conversation because he's sitting right behind me. And he, the waiter basically walks up and says, well, your bill's been paid. What do you mean my bill's been paid? I want to pay my bill. I'm sorry, sir. I don't even know who paid it. There was a Christian that came in here and wanted to pay your bill. And he said, what? I, I don't know who it was. One of the other waitresses came up and just said, your bill's been paid. And he's like, well, well, can you give me change of a 20? I, I got to leave you a tip. Okay, well, he didn't realize they we'd already got a good tip. So I turned to Melissa. I said, Melissa, what's he doing? She goes, he just picked up the gospel tract. What's he doing? He's reading it. He took it with him. Two, uh, two or three weeks ago, I was in California. I had a woman that we were, we were staying in a bed and breakfast, and uh, Dr. Silvestro and I were speaking at this conference. Uh, Dr. Silvestro is one of the guys, we have a book back there. He's one of the speakers of Striving Fraternity. Um, he's a dentist, by the way. So if he ever comes out here, be careful. He judges you by your teeth. Um, so the re he does. He sizes everyone up by their teeth in minutes. So the reality... <laughs> Any dentists here? I may got myself... All right. So we're right, aren't we? Your teeth look great, by the way, though. <laughs> so, so we're out at this bed and breakfast, and you know we're just sitting. I'm talking to this one woman. She's, I, you know, she said, "Have you ever been here before?" No. I said, "What are you in town for?" She's visiting her kids, I, and she says, well, "What are you in town for?" I said, "Well, I'm, I'm speaking at a conference at the church up the road." I don't know if I could have found a better way to end that conversation faster. 
I mean, she just immediately walked. I mean, not another word. She just walked away. I was like, whoo, okay. So we get down there for breakfast. I get down first. I was the early riser. Dr. Silvestro comes down later with his family. And so my wife and I are there and his family are there. And in walks this woman with her husband. And I'm like, oh, no. See, I know Anthony as well. He loves to share the gospel. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to see how this goes. I'm going to let him take the lead because I already know <laughs> from yesterday how this could go. But it, it never got there because the husband was the one to say, so what are you guys doing in town? I let Anthony say. He goes, well, we're, we're here to speak at a conference at the church up the road. And I just see her go, mm-hmm. And he goes, he turns to me, he goes, really? What are your topics on? I said, well, my topics are on biblical reliability that we can actually trust the Bible and something called presuppositional apologetics. He goes, well, okay, can you give, give me your speech? Let me, I, I mean, don't give me the whole thing, but let me know what you're going to say. And I'm like, ooh, this is not going to go well. So I start talking and I start going through my message. And I see the woman next to me going, mm. I mean, she's physically getting upset. I mean, she's crying. She's like, mm. She eventually gets up and walks out. She, well, she walked out when her husband said, so let me ask you a question. Do you believe in a literal six days? And that's where I just turned and said, well, Dr. Silvestro here, why don't you talk about your talks on Genesis? <laughs> that's when she got up and left. She was upset. She came back later, was told her husband, like, we have to go right now. She was offended at what I don't know. I went up to her afterwards and I said, listen, I, I walked out and I said, I said, I'm really, I know, I can tell you're obviously upset. And she goes, you don't know my background. I said, you're right. And I knew that from the conversation yesterday that you didn't want to talk about it. I really didn't try to bring it up. Your husband was, was asking her, just trying to be respectful to your husband and answer questions. And she goes, well, he should have known better. That may be, but the reality is, is, you know, I feel bad that I've ruined your breakfast. Would you please forgive me? That's not so hard to do, right? Goes against her pride, I know, but I did one step more. You see, I happened to have with me at the time $25 gift card for Amazon. No, it was a thank you card. So I'm like, how do I say thank you and give her a gift? This is strange. So I had to think about this. So I ended up saying, I wrote the card and I thanked her for accepting my forgiveness. And I felt bad about breakfast and I wanted to bless her on her vacation. And I left it for her. I can tell you that our next breakfast was very different. She was like, you didn't have to do that. I said, I know. I know I didn't have to do that, but I wanted to do that because I ruined your breakfast in our discussion, and I didn't want that. I have some, you know, the things I want to share with you, yes, I would love for you to hear them. And I told her, if you ever want to talk, I gave her my email, if you ever want to talk, I am willing to listen, but I want to bless you. We had a very different discussion. Now, it turned out that that day was the day that uh, Mark Spence came in, so he sat, we ended up leaving, and he said, you know, I don't get what you guys, you guys were saying that there was such a bad breakfast the, night, the day before, like, she was wonderful to talk to. <laughs> $25 will do that for you. <laughs> you know, can you do things like that? I mean, I, I purposely set money aside to give away to people. I used to, when I used to work, I used to do some work where I had to go to an office every day, and I used to go to Wawa, you know, guys don't have Wawas out here, huh? Says the strange things in Jersey. We name companies like Wawa. Um, it's, it's a convenience store. And so what I would do is I have a CD that has the gospel message on it. And every morning I'd go and get my coffee. The, the cashiers, they knew my routine. I would just pay for who's ever behind me. It was amazing that I would be at the cashier and they're getting rung up and they haven't figured that I'm giving them a credit card. They never figure it out. It's amazing. And I would sit there and I would leave a CD. And what the cashiers would always do is as I walked out, they would say, the guy in front of you is a Christian. He wants to bless you. Your breakfast is paid. He just wants you to listen to this. And they would, people would contact me. Why? Because I paid a meal. I went into a Dunkin' Donuts. You guys have those out here, right? Okay, you don't have just the Starbucks stuff? Okay. 
You can tell I really like Starbucks, right? Okay. Uh, so I went into a Dunkin' Donuts, and there was this long line. I found out that one of the guys was not, didn't show up to work today or that day. And so there was this line like I've never seen. Now, I like to go into Dunkin' Donuts for a purpose. How many of you guys go to like a Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? What do you go there for? Coffee. Okay. You guys go to the library? Anyone? What do you go to the library for? To read books? Anyone go shopping at grocery stores? Okay, the women do maybe, right? Some of the guys, we don't get trusted. My wife sends me to the grocery store and I come back with sweets. Explain something. All right. <laughs> Thumbs up for that. Okay, I'll let you in on this little secret, ladies. It's our way of getting you to never ask us to go shopping again. Okay? And the benefit is we get the sweets that we wanted in the, as a bonus. Shh. Okay, our little secret. So the reality is I go to, to Dunkin' Donuts to give out gospel tracts. I go to the library to give out gospel tracts. I go to the grocery store to give out gospel tracts. Sometimes I even remember to get coffee, by the way. Because sometimes I give out gospel tracts. Because what I would do is I walk through the line and I just give everyone a gospel tract and then I go to the back of the line. One time I, a guy stopped me, pulled me out of the line to talk and I totally forgot. We talked in the store for 20 minutes. We walked out of the store for another 20 minutes. I got in the car, drove down and went, I never got my coffee. That's okay, because I wasn't going for the coffee. I was going to give a gospel tract, and I succeeded. And the reality is, is that I one time walked into a Dunkin' Donuts. There was this long line. Everyone is very angry because they want to get to work. I want to give out the gospel. I can't give out gospel tracts to angry people. So I came up with this ingenious idea. I walked right to the front of the line, because I'm there every day, and I said to Jason... I put, put down about $40. I just said, Jason, this is for everybody in line. If you need more, let me know. We'll, we'll get more. Let's get this line moving. You know what I want. Make sure I get served last. I'll be over here waiting. What does everyone in line think I just did? They think I cut the line. Are they angry with me? Oh, boy, are they angry with me. And every one of them get up to the line. Oh, yeah, the guy over there paid your meal. He what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, one more lady comes up to me. Did you win the lottery? No, but read this. It'll make your, your eternity. Next guy come, he came up to me. He was like, you just made my day. I'm like, well, read this. It'll make your rest of your eternity. Every one of them came up, and I was freely giving out tracts. You can do things to, to lighten the mood for folks so that they're not so defensive and argumentative. Another way is just being polite. You can be polite. Now, there are some people who are not polite. And there's, there, there's things you can do with that. But by being polite, it's amazing how that helps. I used to go, friends of mine used to go to the courthouse. And I don't know if you guys have courthouses out here. They do a wonderful thing. I don't know if you're aware of this. But if you go to the courthouse, you're on public property, and you can hand out gospel tracts. And the courthouse does this wonderful thing to make it easy for you. My courthouse, by me, every week would bring in 300 new jurors that are not allowed to bring any books with them to come in to the courthouse. So I would give them gospel tracts. They would be bored inside, and they would read the gospel tracts. I love courthouse. They make it so nice for me. And so we would have this. Now, I had friends of mine who were going to this courthouse for about a year and a half before I got there. And you get to know who the workers are at the courthouse. You know the regulars. And you know that they're the ones that have gotten, been handed gospel tracts over and over. And they're not willing to take the tracts. I had three different people at three different times that one of my friends was like, as they're walking up and I'm walking over, making the approach, and one of my buddies was like, oh, he's not going to take a gospel tract. I would try anyway. Now, on three occasions with three people that I was told would never take a gospel tract, took a gospel tract. Okay, so what, what did I say? That's what my buddy Pat was like. The first time he was like, what did you say to her? I've been trying to give her a tract for a year and a half. What did you say? I said, well, she said, no, thank you. And I said, have a nice day. I hope you enjoy the weekend, because it was a Friday. And she turned around and said, you know what, I will take one of those. 
He couldn't believe it. That's all you said? Yeah. I'd ask I'd tell him, I hope you enjoy the weekend. Ask if they have any plans for the weekend. And they would take a gospel tract. Seems strange. Just by being polite. Now, okay, out here I've learned, you guys actually have polite people out here. We've been driving around with Pastor Jim and people just wave. Like, what are they doing? Is that gang symbols or something? Because I'm from Jersey, you know? Like, we don't wave to people. Someone like waves, you're like going, wait, wait, wait I can't carry a gun. You know, people, at least in my area, are not polite at all, ever, right? Any of you try to drive on the roads in New Jersey? Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? My, my future son-in-law came to Jersey. He stayed with us for a week, uh, for a summer. I got, I got him an internship, and so he was with us for a summer. The first thing he did, he calls home the first day after driving to work. First thing he says to his parents, these drivers out here are crazy. I mean, they're so aggressive. He moved to Boston. He's working at MIT now. Yeah, you want to learn aggression? <laughs> I went to Tufts University. I could tell you that Jersey doesn't compare to Boston. <laughs> so, so the reality is that, you know, you end up seeing that just by being polite, as our culture gets more and more entitled, they don't expect people to be polite anymore, at least in some parts of the country. So it really stands out. And, and this is something that is so easy to do. You can do this anywhere. Be polite. Use humor. In any conversation, you can practice. And you, they don't even have to know that you're actually practicing to share the gospel with someone. You know, the, the goal of this is so that they're not doing this. They're not looking to fight with you. That's the goal. Because if once you get into that fighting conversation, you don't enjoy it, they don't enjoy it, Okay, some of them enjoy it because they like the debates. But the reality is, is most people do not enjoy that sort of situation. Most of the time, we're, we want to avoid confrontation. Now, there's, there's good ways to avoid it. There's, there's ways of just trying to be polite with folks, just using humor. You could just have a conversation that's, that's enjoyable. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, you want to talk about something you have in common. For Pastor Jim, I guess he would be talking about the Niners. I don't understand what those are. Um, I think he probably just excludes a whole bunch of people who probably like the Seahawks, as I understand it. I, I really don't follow football or team sports, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, I've actually... So, so this, is my, this is my expertise of, of following football. Uh, I was on a plane once. I, I was sitting next to this guy, talking to him the whole time, having a great conversation, sharing the gospel with him. Uh, we get off the plane, and, uh, you know, he's sitting there, and he, um, you know, he's, they get the people that hold the signs up, you know, so you can get your, your ride, and so he walks over. As soon as he walked over, there was like two or three people immediately, can I get a picture? Can I get a picture? Well, okay. So I go to baggage claim, and he gets over to baggage claim. I'm like, so, you know, Tony, I got to ask you, so who, who are you? I mean, clearly you're someone famous. I've been talking to you for like three hours on our flight to Dallas, and I'm like, and the limo driver goes, you don't know who that is? No. He's the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, oh, okay. He thanked me. He's like, I got to thank you, Andrew. That was the best conversation I've ever had. I'm so glad you had no clue who I was. <laughs> Now, if I meet Roger Federer, I'm going to know him, just saying. But I don't understand this whole Niners, 49ers thing. Just, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, thank you. Now, if it was the LA Rams, I can understand it. I can understand it. I've, I've held their trophy when they won the, when they won the Super Bowl. I, I like the LA Rams only for one reason. My uncle used to own them. So, um, but I never actually watched. <laughs> So the reality is this, is that there can sometimes be people that could be what we call steamrollers. If you get Greg Kokel's tactics, book called Tactics, he talks about a steamroller. Steamroller is a person that just, it doesn't matter what you say, they just want to keep going. They want to talk right over you. They, they just, it's like you could say anything and they're just not going to stop. They just want to plow you down. Those are not enjoyable conversations. 
and I met one. And, you know, this was a, uh, an interesting uh, situation with him. This is at UConn, uh, University of Connecticut. He is a professor, Professor Boyster. Um, we were doing some open air, and he got upset because one of the guys had a sign that says, evolution is a lie. Anyone want to guess what subject he taught? Yeah. So he teaches anthropology. Well, he used to. He got fired. Um, not because of this incident, but and you can go look. UConn professor goes ape and watch what preceded this. But James Boyster is a steamroller. And so there's three things you could do with a steamroller. Because you want to be polite. So the first thing that you do, and I'm getting this totally from, from Greg Kokel's book in Tactics, so I'm telling you where you can get more about it, but... <clears throat> If you get someone like this, you know what you do? Establish rules. Get some, get some ground rules. I did this with, with James because, you know, he just kept wanting to talk. And so what ended up happening was I turned to him and I just said, listen, how about this? How about I ask you a question and you answer that question and then you ask me a question and I answer that question? Does that sound fair? By the way, there is only one possible answer to that. Yes, it sounds fair. I like answering, asking questions that they have no choice. They either look foolish or agree with me. It's a great way to do it. So that's what I did. I asked him if, if that would be fair. He said yes. So I asked him a question. The question I asked him, he teaches anthropology. Okay, can you explain to me how we can get new genetic information that is both reproducible and beneficial into the genes. Go. It took 20 minutes before what I'm going to show you. This is 20 minutes later. You're going to hear him admit that he never answered my question. He even says, now Andrew's going to say, I haven't answered his question. Yeah. That is when you use tactic number two with a steamroller. First, you establish the rules. Second, if that doesn't work, you remind them of the rules. It's called shaming. It's okay to shame when they're breaking rules that they agreed were fair. I'm going to shame him. Now, I want you to notice that everybody in this crowd that's there, and it's a much bigger crowd, you don't get to see all of them, everyone in that crowd did not like the, the Christians that were there that day. Everyone in the crowd was cheering at first for Mr. Boyster, Professor Boyster. They liked his message better than ours. When I do play the clip, I want you to notice, well, okay, I want you to notice the crowd's reaction when I shame him. And unfortunately, you don't guys don't get to see the look on his face of shock. I got to. Um, I wish the camera had a better angle. But... You shame a person that breaks the rules, that's a steamroller like that, because many of us are afraid of that steamroller. So establish the rules. If they break them, you shame them. And if not, you just walk away. Now, in this case, I didn't walk away. I had a secret that I knew that Mr. Boyster did not. I'm an open-air evangelist. My voice can carry more than his. I just spoke over him. So let's take a look at this clip. And in point of fact, what you see is what you get. You guys have been here preaching for several days. This is my. See, I've got. Excuse me. You not only did you be didn't answer my question, but you're not even allowing a response. I actually, I'm, I was in the process. I love the look on his face when he's like, 
He can't believe that they were clapping because he was so expecting that the crowd was going to cheer with him. I loved when he tried to get them to chant, Andrew, shut up. Did you get to see that? At first, it was like a lot of people. The second time, it was like half the people. By the third time, there was like very few people saying it. He couldn't even get the crowd to do that because he, the crowd did not want to shame me. Why? I was following the rules. I asked him, I said, we agreed. I would ask you a question, you'd answer. You see, when you have someone that is a steamroller, which is the, mo- the person we af- are afraid of the most, when, they, when you get someone that you can't disarm their defenses, that is the hardest one to deal with for us because we're just like, how do we deal with this? These three steps help you. Just establish rules. They don't follow the rules, shame them. And if they're not going to follow the rules after you shame them, you can walk away. Now, what I ended up doing was just raising my voice, <laughs> which he didn't like because my voice was louder than his. Actually, after that incident, they, he got in a little bit of trouble at the school, um, and he wanted to know if I would go on to Poise, uh, uh, Pierce Morgan's show with him to do this public, like, you know, apology thing. I wasn't going to apologize, but if I went on, boy, I'd have a great opportunity to share the gospel. Um, but uh, he, I, so he called me up to ask me if I'd do that with him, and he had zero voice. He blew his voice because he doesn't know how to preach from the diaphragm. You see, he was going speaking from here. I was speaking from my diaphragm. I've gone for three and a half hours in New York without amplification, and I still had a voice left. That was the difference. So instead of leaving, as, as Greg Coco would say, what I did was I just spoke over him. I drowned him out, and uh, he wasn't too happy. But the other thing is that sometimes people can get angry with you. Know this. Sometimes people get angry with you, and it's fake anger. This is from a, um, we were outside in Cleveland, Ohio. This was after a gay pride festival. They, um, they had uh, thought that I was out there because they had a gay pride festival. I was out there because we have a yearly conference that we were having for eight years, and they happened to schedule a gay pride parade on our event. Sorry, we've been coming to the same place the same weekend for years. We can't help it if you decided to have your event on our weekend. Change your weekend. Um, But you're going to see fake anger. How do I know it's fake? Here's what he's going to happen, because he can't hear the audio as well. He is going to start screaming, and I am going to ask him a question I love to ask of people that I could tell when they want to say that Christians are like these bad people. I like to ask them why they're judging me. Why are you being intolerant? Because they think they own that. I love taking that away from them. So what I ended up asking, he started calling me names, and I said, why are you judging me? He thought I said, why are you touching me? And he started calling me a liar. I didn't touch you. And I turned and I smiled. I said, sir, I said, why are you judging me? And when he realized his mistake, watch how quickly his fake anger dissipates and goes away, and then he can turn it on in a heartbeat. You see, see how quickly you just, ah, ah. oh, realize that sometimes they're putting on a show. Sometimes that they're really not looking for the conversation. Let me tell you one thing about disarming their defenses, why it's so important in a conversation when you're sharing the gospel. You will find that many people like that are really looking for a way to end the conversation and satisfy their pride. Really, what they want to do is shut you down and in their pride feel that they're righteous in doing it because you're an idiot or you're stupid or something like that or as he claimed a different word for me. But, but the reality is what they want to do is they want to have some reason that they can walk away in pride 
and try to satisfy their conscience. Because remember, Romans 1 says that every single person knows that God exists, but they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Okay? So knowing that, guess what? My starting point is I already know that you already know that God exists. And your behavior is the suppression. And when they tell me, I don't believe God exists, God disagrees with you. Have you ever been wrong before in your life? Yeah, what's that got to do with anything? God hasn't. I'm believing him. Just saying. Titus says that God cannot lie. I'll stick with what he says then. The, the reality is that a lot of times people will do things just to shut down a conversation. They will act like this just because they want to leave the conversation and avoid it and not hear what you're saying, but justify it in their own mind. So when you know that up front, guess what? Now what you're trying to do is maneuver that conversation so that you can disarm them and they have no more right to do it. That's why I was saying to him, sir, he, he said, I hate him. I don't hate you. Why are you judging me? I'm taking his, his line of thinking away from him, right? But you know what ends up happening in that? He realized, he, he, I just diffused the whole thing. I'm not acting the way he's expecting me to act. By the way, Hollywood, the media, how do they depict Christians? I mean, we're supposed to be the most bigoted, hateful people in the world. Obviously, they don't go to church. You know, maybe they go to really bad churches. I don't know. Maybe Joel Steen's church. Okay. Um, but he smiles so well. So the reality is this. You know, when you know that most people are really just trying to end the conversation because what you're saying is ringing truth in their ears, then they're trying to suppress that, you know what you're seeing is the suppression. But what we could do is give them what they expect and watch them run away, or we can try to lighten that conversation so what you end up seeing is that they, they realize they, they can't sit there and say that we're the ones in the wrong. By the way, at that gay pride parade, um, I don't know if we have a video, but I had, I had hecklers, I mean, just angry with me for carrying this. This was offensive to them. So the reality was that they were offended just with me being there. And they were in my face. They had the mob mentality there yelling at me. Four of them afterwards came up to apologize. Because over and over again, I kept saying, I'm not judging you. I've given you God's law and let you judge yourself. They kept, now I'm at a gay pride parade. They kept bringing up homosexuality. I kept saying, I'm not the one that brought up. Why are you talking about homosexuality? I'm not. You guys keep bringing it up. I want to talk about why you're lying. See, I just get right around the whole thing that they're dealing with. Four of them came up to apologize because of their behavior. Why? Because their behavior compared to my behavior, they knew was wrong. And the, the way of doing that was to sit there and just keep going over and over and over and keep reminding them that I wasn't judging them, that I'm here because I love them. And I'd say, what in the world do you think makes it where I would be willing to get on a box and look like a fool in your eyes? It's for one reason. I care where you spend eternity. And I kept saying that over and over. I kept being polite and using humor. I have two goals when I go out and do open air. Now, I'll say this. If, I'll talk about a book in a minute, the, the Sharing the Good News of Mormons. I have a chapter in there on open air evangelism. Publishers have a way of softening words. So I'm going to tell you the way I really say it, the way the publishers wouldn't let me say it, and you can read the way they wanted me to say it. But I have two goals when I go out and evangelize. First and foremost, I want to share the gospel clearly, unwatered down, so that the message of the gospel is clearly understood, so that everyone is without excuse, at least that hears it that day. They can't say it, stand before God and say, I never heard it. I want that gospel to be clear. But I have a second reason, a second goal that I have. I want one professing atheist to tell another professing atheist to shut up. I do. 
I want to conduct myself in such a way that one person who hates the message I'm proclaiming recognizes that another person who's heckling me is rude and tells them to shut up. And it happens often. It happens often because of the way I conduct myself. And with that, my whole goal in conducting myself that way is to disarm their defenses so they're less argumentative. There's always going to be those persons that are argumentative and they want to just shout and yell and be upset with you. But I want to conduct myself in such a way that everyone else sees that as that contrast. And I've had many atheists, professing atheists, because there's really not atheists, because Romans 1 says there aren't any atheists, but I have many professing atheists that tell me, they'll come up to me and say, I totally disagree with the message you are saying, but man, thank you for doing it. It takes courage. I appreciate that you at least love me enough to do it. It happens often. So the first thing that I want you to learn, okay, is the fact that we want to make sure that we're disarming their defenses, that we're not being offensive. The only offense should be the gospel, okay? That's what we want to do. And so in doing that, we want to use humor, we want to be polite, we want to soften the conversation so it's not argumentative. Okay? So with that, what we're going to do, I'm going to pray. I'm going to announce some, some things uh, that I was asked to announce and uh, promote some books and stuff. And, uh, and then we're going to end up having a Q&A. So I hope you're thinking of questions. Because, by the way, if not, then I ask questions. I'm not opposed to pop quizzes. All right, let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you give us your word. We have an absolute standard to stand on an absolute foundation that even though the world may want to live in a, and say that everything is relative, that there are no absolutes, that everything is, is fluid and in fluctuation, we know that your word never changes, never needs to change, never needs to adapt because you are the creator of all things. We understand morality because it comes from your nature. We understand the universe because you created it. Lord, we are fearful when it comes to sharing the gospel, very much so. And yet, Lord, what we want to do is be bold. We ask you for that boldness. Help us, equip us, so that we would end up being more willing to reach out. Help us to see that we can navigate conversations, to disarm conversations, so that they don't have to be argumentative conversations so that we can enjoy them, they can enjoy them, and people would want to talk with us longer so we would have more opportunities to share the great news that you had someone share with us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.